we're uh, turning to Exodus. We've been studying through the book of Exodus. We're in the Ten Commandments now. And uh, some of you may not know this, that the Ten Commandments are ten simple laws that God gives. And after the Ten Commandments, there are several chapters of more detailed legal codes that were given to ancient Israel. And so what we're doing each week is we're reading the Ten Commandments and we're pairing it with the portion of the legal code that goes with that commandment. And so this, the portion today comes from the end of chapter 21 and into chapter 22. So we're going to read that alongside the, the Eighth Commandment. And so let's uh, turn now to God's word. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. And then skipping down to chapter 21, starting in verse 33. When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. When one man's ox butts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead beast also they shall share. Or if it is known that the ox had been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he, that he dies... There shall be no blood guilt for him, but if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over, or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe and is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found... The owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a cloak, for, uh, or for any uh, kind of lost thing of which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be, given, shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath and he shall not make a restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and is injured or dies, the owner will not, uh, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring. 
riveting reading from God's word this morning. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we praise you for mundane passages like these that call us to explore that, uh, why you have preserved these words d- down through millennia for us to study and to think upon. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would now open our eyes to see wonders in your word and help us to understand ourselves, to understand our community, to understand our society, and above all, to understand you. So uh, be our teacher now as we open our hearts to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today uh, we are talking about the eighth of the Ten Commandments, you shall not steal, which is a law that basically every civilization in the history of humanity has recognized, that you shouldn't steal from people. And you might think it was a pretty simple command. But it's a principle that is right at the heart at one of the biggest divides in our nation right now, because if you're here today and you say, well, you know, I'm a politically or a conservative, politically minded person, one of your greatest concerns is about the government stealing people's money. You know, you might say something like, you know, socialism is a breaking of the eighth commandment, taking people's possessions and giving them to other people. And, uh, you know, in the Bible, there's a, uh, uh, the prophet Uh, Samuel warns the Israelites, he says, listen, you don't want a king, because if you get a king, he's going to take all your stuff, and he's going to try to make his kingdom bigger with your stuff. And so uh, for a conservative, being a free nation means that the government should respect our private property. On the other hand, if you're here, you're a more liberal-minded person, then you would say freedom is not just about the government staying out of my business or, or the, the government protecting my private property, you're going to say freedom is about the pursuit of life and liberty and happiness. And if, you're, if anyone's going to pursue life, liberty, and happiness, well, they need a car and they need an address and they need clothes and they need food and they need an education. Maybe they need health care as well in order uh, to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. So they would say the biggest thing that keeps people from freedom is poverty. They might quote, Proverbs 10, which says, A rich man's wealth is his strong city, but the poverty of the poor is their ruin. So a liberal-minded person is suspicious that capitalism favors those who have capital. And so those people are robbing opportunity and wealth from those who don't have capital. What this means, there are two radically different definitions of what does freedom even mean. What is freedom? And both definitions are speaking directly about the Eighth Commandment, about stealing. Who's robbing who? Are the rich robbing the poor, or the poor with the government robbing from those who have wealth? Well, I'd say probably the vast majority of our society, probably the vast majority of the people in this room, fall somewhere on a spectrum between these two visions. You know, most of us want private property to be protected, and most of us want the, care, the poor to be cared for. And so it raises the question, how do we think about this as Christians? 
Well, today I'm, I'm not going to tell you where on the spectrum you should land. We, we are a community that has uh, people who land in different places on that spectrum. But what I want to do is give some biblical principles that help guide us in our judgments in this debate. And so I want to do that by answering two simple questions for us this morning. The first is, what does the Eighth Commandment say about how the world should be? What picture of how God wants the world to be is given to us in the Eighth Commandment? It's rich. The world's not like that, though. So the second question is, is what does the Eighth Commandment say about how the world is then made right? How should the world be, and how is the world made right? And I think these are both deeply important questions for us in our day. So, two questions this morning. The first is this. What does the Eighth Commandment say about how the world should be? And two answers that I want to give to that question from this passage. So the first answer is, we were made to own a small part of God's creation. You and I were made to own a small part of God's creation. And actually, the word owner is repeated tens times in this passage. You might see it just in the opening verses there, verse 20, uh, 33, where it says, when a man opens a pit or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it and an ox or donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restitu- restoration. He shall give money to its owner and the dead beast shall be his. So we have a lot about two owners. A guy who owns a pit, a guy who owns a a donkey or an ox. And what it's saying is that if you own something, if you own a little piece of God's creation, you're responsible for that. If you have a pit, you're responsible for what happens in that pit. And the Hebrew word that's used here for owner is the word Baal. And if you've read through the Old Testament, you've seen the name Baal come up in a number of places. Baal was the name for some of the local deities that the Canaanites worshipped in their, in their pantheon. And uh, Because the word Baal means master, possessor. And what this text says is that you and I are called to be Baals, masters, owners, princes over a small kingdom in God's creation. And this passage is insisting that that ownership, that lordship that we're supposed to have in the little piece of God's creation must be respected. You can't steal my oxen from my kingdom, you know, your animals can't kill my, my animals, your uh, animals can't come graze in my field without permission. And this is saying that private property, the dignity that God gives to people in ownership is sacred. And some of you know how sacred the, the private property is if you've had someone that's come into your home and robbed you. I, I know... Uh, when I, Shannon and I were living in St. Louis, uh, we lived in a house that had a number of apartments in it. And one day, someone came in the front door, through the front door, went into the garage that was closed, smashed our window, stole our CD player, and then opened the garage door and went out the garage door. And, you know, the worst part of it was not that we lost the CD player. The worst part of it was, like, who was this that came in our front door? Our sacred space had been violated. You feel like there's a defilement that has happened when someone has come into that space. And the reason for this is because ownership is fundamental to the dignity of what it means to be human. The Bible says, you and I, we are made in the image of God, which means we're called to take dominion, to 
take, you know, ownership and rule over some small piece of God's creation. And it's like God is this great king who owns the God's green earth, and then he get, makes us these little sub-rulers or vice regents over various portions of the land. And uh, I mentioned G.K. Chesterton last week, who's a favorite author of mine from the early 20th century. And, and Chesterton was, in some of his political writings, was both critical of socialism and capitalism. And his whole vision of what politics should do was summarized in uh, one of his books called What's Wrong with the World. And this is what Chesterton says. He says, As every normal man desires a woman and a children born of woman, every normal man desires a house of his own to put them into. He does not merely want a roof above him and a chair below him. He wants an objective and visible kingdom, a fire at which he can cook what food he likes, a door he can open to what friends he chooses. The goal for humanity, the dignity of humanity, is I have a place where I am a bail. I'm a ruler. I'm a king. That's what we're made for. And actually, one other thing I read recently, some of you know Jordan Peterson. He's a Canadian psychologist who wrote a book, The 12 Rules for Living. And he, you know, he's a, he's works with a lot of people who are thinking about, like, how do I get some, make some goals in my life? How do I have some motivation in my life? And one of the things he says is you got to find a small place that you take dominion over. And if it means start by making your bed or, you know, getting a haircut, maybe I need a haircut, the, uh, mowing your lawn, whatever it is, find a small place that you say, this is something that I'm actually taking responsibility for. And then take that little sphere and grow it a little bit and grow it a little bit, that sphere of where you are being a Baal, where you are being a king. And so the first vision that the Bible gives us is gives tremendous dignity to all of us is that we were made to own a small part of God's world. But this desire to be a Baal um, shows up very early in children uh, because children, I think all children, love to make forts. And my kids love to make forts in either their bedrooms or the living room or out in the woods. And you get a bunch of sticks and you make a fort. And what's the first thing that a kid puts on the outside of their fort? Keep out. <laughs> Boys only or girls only, right? No trespassing. This is my kingdom. And it's not just children who do that. I mean, some of you may literally have no trespassing signs around your house. And, but in our hearts... In our hearts, we say, this is my kingdom and is for me. The little place of ownership that God has given is for me. God is not that way. Psalm 24 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is God's kingdom. He is the king over his creation, and he does not hoard his wealth. Psalm 145 says this. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due, due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. God takes his kingdom. He shares it with the, his children. He shares it with people who don't even believe in him. He feeds them and gives them jobs. and rain. All the animals. He loves all the little animals, and he feeds them. He is generous with his kingdom. And what that means for us is that when we ask, how should the world be, it's not enough to simply say, we were made to own a small part of God's creation. 
but also we were made to share our small part of God's creation. And John Calvin, who's one of the great, the great theologian of the Reformation, was one of the thinkers who laid the foundation for our modern world. And before Calvin in pre-modern societies, pre-modern societies understood themselves in terms of the great chain of being. The great chain of being says that, you know, all people are born into a certain class, you know. So some people, if you're born as a slave or you're born as a serf or you're born as an artisan or merchant or maybe a noble or prince or ruling class or maybe you're born as a king or even, or even above kings in the spirit world. There are angels and archangels and there's this whole hierarchy and at the top of the hierarchy is God himself. And the way that a society is held together was you play your role in the great chain of being. Calvin comes along and he flattens the whole thing. He says, that's not what the Bible says holds a society together. The Bible says what holds a society together is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are neighbors. And actually the main way that you in your life will love your neighbor as yourself is through your work. Your work is a calling from God to serve God. Your work is pleasing to him and it serves his kingdom. And so that means that whatever your little part of creation that is your kingdom that you're a bailover, it's your house, you know, maybe your home, it might be, you, maybe you have a business and it's your business. Maybe it's, you're a teacher, you have a classroom or you have a cubicle or whatever, you know, your little place of ownership. Uh, this is the way that you are bringing blessing to your neighbors. And in many ways, this is now how we view society. We don't view society in terms of the great chain of being. When we have an election coming up, what are we talking about? We're talking about the economy. We're talking about the sharing of goods. We're talking about entrepreneurs and starting new businesses. How did we start to think about our society primarily in terms of economics in the market? It's because of what Calvin said. You love your neighbors yourself through your work. And what makes this possible is a tremendous amount of trust. You know, we have banks that loan us money. We write contracts that we believe people will respect and honor. How many of you have your life savings under a floorboard in your house? You probably have some stranger who, you know, is managing it or, uh, you know, it's in some bank that's protecting it somewhere. What this means is that even though we are supposed to be owners of our kingdoms, our little kingdoms overlap. And we're meant to bless and help each other. Our kingdoms are allies are meant to be allies. And you see the spirit of being allies in this passage in a few places. Look at verse 7, how it starts. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe. Verse 10, again. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe. Verse 14. If a man borrows anything uh, of his neighbor. The spirit of this passage is not, I own my stuff and get your hands off my stuff. It is, we're here to share and to help one another. A society of mutual benefit, trust, and sharing. And one of the main ways that we are a society like that is through our work. And I, you know, I sometimes think about this, and maybe I shared this with you, you know, when I walk into my house and think about 
how many people in their work are represented in my house? You know, just open the doorknob. Someone designed this doorknob. Someone built this doorknob. Someone marketed this doorknob. And now I can get in my house easily because of the doorknob. And the paint on the walls and, uh, you know, the flooring, the clothes I'm wearing, you know, the, the pork loin that's in the fridge. Someone raised that pork loin and butchered that pork loin and sold that pork loin. Think of every single thing in your house and how many people are represented there. I mean, is it a million people? Think about my car, every part of my car that someone worked on and designed and used their skills for. All of us have like a million people who are ser- have served us to make our life more comfortable and more enjoyable in this world. This is how God envisioned what human life and society would be, that all of us are using our gifts and that throughout our life we'd be served by millions of people like we're these great kings, these bales in the small part of God's creation served by a million people and we'd spend our life serving maybe thousands, maybe millions of people over the course of our life. It's absolutely breathtaking, beautiful vision that God has given to us. And so this, this is how our world's supposed to be. And, of course, it's not that way. There are many parts of the world where private property is not respected, where there is no trust. We're having a breakdown of trust in our society. There are no allies, so there can be no economic development. You know, I've heard it said that there is more than enough food in the world to feed everyone, all the 7.5 billion people. There's more than enough food. It's just we can't get it to them. It's the systems of injustice, you know, where you send aid to a nation and a warlord steals the food so the food can't even get to people. And, uh, and so it, it says that we've had a history and a world full of societies that are not societies of mutual benefit. And so it leads to the second question, not only what, is it, what picture does the Eighth Commandment give us of how the world should be, but second, what does the Eighth Commandment say about how the world is made right. And I, the answer that I want to give from this passage is that the world is made right when God teaches us to give by God giving to us. God teaches us to give by God giving to us. This is the pattern throughout the scriptures. So first, God is teaching us to give. And a, a major part of this law code that we just read is the principle of restitution. You see that word in verse 5. It says, if a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and in his own vineyard. Or again in verse 6, if uh, fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. Actually, 18 times in these verses, the word restore or restitution uh, is used. And I, I, I was talking to, about this passage to Pastor John a couple weeks ago, and he had made the point that, um, you know, God's justice in the Bible It's not just about punishing people, punishing criminals, making them pay. It's about making the world right. That's what restitution is. is, is There's a a broken world. There's this beautiful vision of ownership, of mutual benefit that God has for human life. And when we break that vision, we have to set it right. 
So if you set your neighbor's hay on fire, you need to replace the hay. Make it right. If you have an animal that kills your, neighbor, uh, your neighbor's animal, you need to pay for the animal. But then there's a slight difference in the case of stealing. Maybe you saw that in verse 1 there. It says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So you've got to go beyond just making it right and replacing the oxen. Or in verse 4, again, if the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. So in the case of stealing, you don't just replace what you stole. Oh, i got to give you your ox pack. I need to bring another ox. Why is that? Well, if you've stolen something, there are two things that are broken in God's good creation. One is that the person lost their oxen. That's broken. That needs to be made right. The other thing that's broken is you. You're a taker. And you, you know, we're bringing into God's good earth something that God is not like. God is not a taker. He is a giver. He is an abundant giver. And we're not reflecting him. And so we have to pay back double. We have to become a giver. And, you know, I was thinking about this command. Imagine you're the person who had the ox. Imagine you had three oxen stolen from you. Like, I just got 15 oxen out of this. You know, it's almost like you want something stolen from you because you can come out with 15 oxen because now abundantly, it's not only that you have to replace what you took, you need to learn to be a giver. Because you know what the opposite of stealing in the Bible is? The opposite of stealing is not that you keep your hands off other people's stuff. Listen to the words from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The opposite of stealing is working and having an ability to share with others and love others and give the way that God gives. So the way the world is made right is that God teaches us to work and to give, and that's how his image is restored in us. But, you know, you imagine the thief who owes 15 oxen. You think he's excited about giving 15 oxen? You know, this law might make you give 15 oxen, but the law won't change your heart. I mean, you're going to do that begrudgingly. Something different has to change us at a deeper level if we're really going to have the open hands that we see of the Lord in Psalm 145. So this is the second thing about how the world is made, right? It's not only that God is teaching us to give, but God is teaching us to give by God giving to us, by us receiving from God. You only learn to have a giving heart when you have experienced God's giving heart towards you. You have to experience that. God has promised you whatever you need when you need it. That's what he's promised you. Whatever you need, when you need it. And why do people steal? They don't believe that God is going to give them what they need when they need it. And how many of us here can look back on our lives and we'd say, I can see over and over again, it's, God gave me what I needed when I needed it. I was worried at a lot of times. I was anxious at a lot of times. I didn't know where God's provision was going to come from. It has always come because he's a father who cares for me and he loves me and he provides for me. And you might say, well, I don't, why does God come in so late at the final hour to provide what I need? Why do you think he does that? 
So he doesn't want you to think it's your work that provided for you. He doesn't want you to think it's your entitlement that it's owed to you, that that's why it was given to you. It was given to you because he loves you and he is sufficient for you to trust in his care as a father. He loves each one of us. He knows what we need. And it's when we know that God gives to us like that that we learn to be open-handed, be generous, to give to God's kingdom, to give to people who are in need. But, you know, God has gone much farther than simply to give us our food, and our shelter. Because the big message of the Bible is that God's greatest gift to us, of course, is his son. And you think about this man who stole three oxen and owes 15 oxen. You say, wow, that's a lot of debt, 15 oxen. But for all of us, God has entrusted us all of our possessions, our life, our heartbeat, our days. And they were all meant to be used for his glory and for the good of our neighbors. And you imagine our whole, how much have we squandered of what has been entrusted to us? What is the debt that we have all accrued based on the wealth that he has shared with us to own and to be bales over? The debt is far more than any of us can pay. So the great message of the gospel is God's giving heart towards us is he sends his son who pays the debt for us on the cross. He makes restitution. He makes the restitution. He restores and makes right what we never could make right. And so it's a confidence in his love when we know that, that we too will become givers like our father and like our Lord. And so how should this world be? We were called to be bales, masters of small kingdoms, who share our wealth with others who are our allies. But how is the world made right? We are made right. Societies are made right through Jesus, who teaches us to give by giving us all things. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise you that you have made this world and you have made this vision that humans would dwell together, that we would be entrusted with your creation, that we would own your creation so that we might also have the dignity of sharing and giving your creation to each other. Lord, we pray that our community here, you'd first make us a place of giving and sharing, of generosity, where we've experienced your love and grace to us in Christ, and we extend that to one another. And we pray that as that happens in your churches around the world, that you would extend that society of of mutual benefit to the glory of God, that that would spread in every nation. We ask this in Jesus' name.